Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, today I am very happy to have back on the podcast Andrew Alexander King, and we are here to talk about the meditations by Marcus Aurelius. We are firing back up the Blister Book Club, and you'll hear the story about how Andrew and I came to be talking about this book today. Now, I had Andrew on the Blister Podcast back in January. It was episode number 159, and you should definitely listen to it. Andrew has an amazing story. He is currently doing some amazing things, and you will want to know about that as you hear us talk about the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. So anyway, that is what we have on tap for you here. And I really hope you enjoy this conversation. This is a book that Andrew and I both love, and we hope that maybe you come to love it too. So let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Andrew. Here we go. Well, Andrew Alexander King, (laughs) how are you today and where are you today? I'm doing great. And I hope you're doing great. And I'm not going to try to make you laugh as much because I know you're recovering. So I'm just sitting here. I'm back in the United States in California, currently at the Sports Academy. And yeah, getting ready to take off for Denali in what, two weeks now. So yeah. Two weeks. Denali in two weeks. Yeah. Well, I should say like I go, I go, so I go up to Washington and train with my mountaineering coach and my mentor, an amazing human being, Lola Sarid, who has taken me under her wing to teach me all the things I don't know about mountaineering, which is a lot. And, and uh, yeah, we're going to train up there in Mount Baker. And it's been amazing since the last time we talked when we were in the DR. John is the only person that gets to know where I am. <laughs> when he starts off a conversation, everyone else is just assuming that I'm home, but I'm rarely home. So, yeah. So... When we talked last time, you were talking about the upcoming Denali trip. It's just a lot closer now. <laughs> yeah, it's, a very, it's really a lot closer. When I talked to the first time, didn't know we were going to get funding. It's paid for. Uh, didn't have any contracts or sponsors. You know, actually, no one signed yet. But now I have up to four, you know, contracts and sponsors from Black Diamond, Cedar Summit, Von Zipper super coffee. So those are my main sponsors and they have been amazing to work with. The teams and people have backed me and helped articulate not only just what I'm doing with the clients, but also helping me get back to the communities and speak out for inequality, sexism, racism, and climate change and social economic barriers along the way. So it's been amazing. Um, life is couldn't be more than humble and happy and getting mentored again by people like Melissa and knowing people like yourself, I would say it's interesting because um, I just wrote this down the other day in my journal that beautiful things is that everyone thinks that we're all against each other. There's a lot of hate in the world, but when I stand on top of Denali or any mountain, I went through a list of all the people that helped me out, everyone here from the sports academy to yourself, and everyone is from a different race, gender, and background and color. So it's really cool to see that come together. So, yeah. Man, that's very cool. I'll say this in our intro, but yeah, if... If anybody has not yet listened to 
the last conversation that you and I had on Blister Podcast, they should definitely do that because you are you are thinking about and working towards some pretty big things. Since that conversation, you and I have been in touch a lot, texting a bunch, which is kind of what led us to the specific topic of today's conversation when I think you and I were in the middle of a back and forth and you sent me a very brief text that just said, do you like philosophy? Question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, that's so true. That is true. Um, yeah, like I do. Yeah, that's great. And this, we got us here. We got us in this yep. podcast. Too. And uh, yeah, I must have replied something like, why, thank you for asking. Uh, in fact, I do. I do like philosophy. That led to you talking about Stoicism and this book in particular, which is ironically a book that actually doesn't have a title. It It has come to be called The Meditations or just Meditations. But I was so thrilled to find out that this was a, an important and meaningful book to you. And maybe we'll just kind of start there. Why is this book important to you? So it's interesting because I'm holding the book right now and I've read it multiple times. I truly do believe this book to me sums up a lot of parts of what I'm involved to now in life. I read it when I was in my teens. I read it in my twenties and now I'm reading it again in my thirties. It's so, and it's It's basically, again, I read books um, again at different points in the life because the words are different when you reflect back on them. And so for me now reading meditations, it's very interesting, especially dealing with heat where society is now doing the climbs, the diving and the surfing. What really, how do I really, you know, stay true to my core values and let people be themselves. You're not, you're not trying to push upon let's say a political agenda, but more like a conscious, you know, um, discussion. And I think with meditations, the book really does do that. Marcus Aurelius talks about things, how being connected to nature, which, you know, in your last podcast, we discussed that, how I feel at peace with nature. I tried to really, you know, let myself be within a moment and take it for what it is versus trying to morph it into what I want it to be. And also learning that, there's ob- there's obstacles and there's opportunity always in obstacles. How you see that is your perception um, and perspective of life. So this book to me is so powerful and getting one of the greatest leaders um, of that time to really write down his thoughts every day is actually what inspired me years ago to you know write down my goals. But now I just spent the last year writing a poem a day and writing a poem a day. I read my poems in my meditation thoughts back to myself after you writing it down in my journal and it was mind-blowing just to see how it evolved and i read it back to myself um, a few weeks ago when i filled up the journal so this book is really uh, one i have on the mountains with me one i have and i give away to people fairly often and it's just one that i really do really feel can give you a good sense uh, a good sense of where you want to be and also a good sense of what you want to build for your lighthouse within your life so I'm curious, tell me a little more, if you can recall, how did you first get introduced to this book? You said you were in your teens when you first read it, but how did it get to you? That's a good question. So for me, I think when meditation became more and more solid in my life, I really started to think about, and this is actually, let me take a step back before that. 
meditation was solid. And then I started to think about mentorships. Everyone thinks that a mentor has to be living for you to learn from them. That's not necessarily true. You, you can learn from a lot of, sorry, that's, let me just put, many people throughout history. You have Akapurkis, you have Pluto, you have Winston Churchill, you have Nelson Mandela, you have Mother Teresa. You have so many other people around the world that have written down what they experience in life. And you can learn from that, which is giving you a mentorship of what you can digest from. And so in my teens, going into my 20s, I really started to wonder, like, who can I learn from? You know, and um, I, I knew I started to deviate from, you know, reading in college and such, being like, okay, you have to read this book. And I was like, oh, that should be not on the syllabus. I'm not really going to find too much interesting from that. So I looked around to philosophy. Um, first time I read it, I did not appreciate the words. I was, I, I would think I was too mature, too, too mature to understand what was being presented to me. And then I read it in my 20s when I was, you know, I think my second or third year of sobriety. And I honestly went back and started collecting more books on philosophers. And that's Confucianism, Taoism, you know, different parts of the world, even to Winston Churchill, who I think is a really good, um, I wouldn't say philosopher, but someone that really took those philosophies and applied them to modern times during his period. And, uh, and then, yeah, in my 30s. I applied it into my career working. And I think that's why, you know, doing what I do now, it really helped transition me there. So introducing me to the book was mostly, I would say, looking for mentorship. Um, when you're young, you're really just you're looking for the brightest star in the sky to guide you. Um, but the funny thing is, it's sometimes the dustiest book in the library that has it. That's right. Yep. Well, if you're looking for mentors pretty interesting place to go because when we're talking about Marcus Aurelius, we are talking about an individual who was the richest and most powerful person on planet Earth when he ruled from, I think it was 169 to 180 AD. I mean, this is the emperor of Rome. And it's always so interesting to me, you know, Back in like Plato's Republic, when Plato is talking about like the philosopher king and this ideal of kind of um, a ruler, a powerful ruler who has also tried to order his or her own life according to certain philosophical principles, well, Aurelius still stands out today as being one of and not that not that Aurelius himself would be like I'm this you know accomplished philosopher. He, in fact, he says sort of the opposite of that. But I always think about like Plato's philosopher king that he hoped that we would have these philosophically attuned individuals in positions of huge power, and Aurelius is one of those historical leaders, and. Just, I find it so interesting, right? Because if ever there was anybody who's like, you know what? I just do everything and anything I want to all the time. That could have been Marcus. That could have been Marcus, but it wasn't. But it wasn't, right? But it wasn't. I think that's where, to your point, he really did push on having people that understood the arts and philosophy to lead because 
they had a really good sense of what life was. They really, you know, understood that life is passing, it's fleeting. You don't really have control of other people's say, but you're just, you're more, you're guiding. You're not, you're guiding them towards where they should go versus demanding where they should go. And that was a, that was a difference. And I think when you look at Marcus Aurelius and one of my favorite parts of it is, I can read it right now from book two. You're welcome. Yeah, please do. Whatever this is that I am, it is a little flesh and breath in the ruling part. Throw away your books, no longer discredit yourself. It is not allowed. But as if you were now dying, dispense the flesh. It is the blood and bones and nerves, veins, arteries, wooden together. See the breath also, what kind of a thing it is, and not always the same. But every moment sent out and again suck in. And the third, then is the ruling part. Consider thus, you are an old man, so no longer let this be a slave. No longer be pulled by the strings like a puppet on on solace. No longer either be dissatisfied with your present or string from the future. That moment right there is basically saying what we just discussed is where you know that this is all a shelf life, right? You know where this is going to go. No one has ever beaten death that we know, that we know and we've seen, I hope. No one's seen, but um, when you think of it, that line right there, I think of you can't hide from your future. You can't hide from your past and you can't really control things that are out of your control. So how do you just let yourself be and live to accordance as you want to be? And I think I know Marcus, when he wrote this down and having that, it seems that he had this sense of this is where I want my life to go. I'm going to write it and see if everyone can be guided with it, with what I write down in my journal, which people still use today. I talked to a few of my mentors and other people, and I said, the only time you're remembered in life is how much you contribute from today into the future. And they asked, they're like, what do you mean? I said, if you go into hiding, you don't, and you write a bunch of letters and poems, right? And then they sit on your shelf and then you pass away and it's never published to the world. People that in your nucleus circle will remember you and everyone else will soon forget you. But Marcus and the Stoics wrote everything down and it was distributed. It's still, Marcus Aurelius is still being talked about. So he's immortal, if you think, in the sense, because he's still being talked about in the 21st century, which I imagine he probably didn't think of. And if reading his words, he didn't want to. No, and in fact, I mean, one of the things like that scholars are pretty clear on with respect to these writings is that there was no intention. He had no intention to publish these. So that's why sometimes like, again, there, there is actually no title. These, these were his notebooks. And so kind of there throughout time, some, some folks decided like, I don't know, well, we got to call it something. And some, some scholars still prefer the title to himself and and in another way we could just call it notebooks but yeah in this particular case this really was the most powerful ruler in the world trying to just remind himself of certain precepts to help him be a better person and be a better ruler that's what this is and it's just the way that uh, after he died these were discovered. These notebooks were discovered and distributed. And thank God, I mean, we're lucky to have them, right? Yeah, because I think without it, I think a lot of leaders, if you look back through generational leaders, many of them have referenced this book. 
And I think, and it's like, and people are like, oh, I'm like, you can go through so many different leaders, athletes that reference stoicism. And when you think of stoicism, you think of Pluto, it's like an echo purpose. You think of so many of the good ones. And then you, you say like, oh, Marcus Aurelius. And those, this book really got people uh, a way to really understand, uh, understanding how to use that. And I think that is the key to what many people look back at and understand. So, I mean, this is going to go hand in hand, I think, like with just talking about some of the things specifically about this book that are so important to you. But let me ask kind of the related question. Like if somebody's listening to this and maybe they've maybe they've heard of Marcus Aurelius, maybe they haven't. But if we were to try to answer the question of like, why do you think this book is relevant today? And sort of that related question, if somebody's listening to this, they've never checked out the book. I'd love for us to kind of get a little bit at like the heart of some of the relevance. Because ultimately what I hope comes from this conversation is some people who maybe checked it out a long time ago and it didn't quite leave the mark. They either go in back to it or I'd just like to get people to go check it out for the first time, right? Yeah. So I'll tell people why it's relevant today. If you're an athlete of such and you're dealing with a tough time for, so for me, I'll just say this, um, in my twenties, becoming sober and such, and, you know, transitioning away from friends and lifestyle that didn't fit to me was very tough, very, very, very tough because you're, you're elevating and you're moving and evolving as a human being, as you do a human being in evolution, which we are, um, and this book, to me, still plays a point in my day-to-day -day because when you go through moments of doubt, you go through moments of pain, you go through moments of conflict, this book translates into how you can handle those moments. And it's so many oh, – this is another moment. It's like book four, line three. Men – and by men, I'm going to say that he's thinking of the human human, like men – Men seek retreats from themselves, house and contrary, seashores, mountains. And you also tend to desire such things very much. But this is altogether a mark of the most common sort of men. For it is in your power to retreat into yourself whatever you shall choose. For nowhere either with more quiet or more freedom from trouble does a man retire than into his own soul. Particularly when he has within him such thoughts by looking into them, he's immediately perfectly tranquil. And I affirm that tranquility is nothing else than the good ordering of the mind. Consistently giving you, consistently giving you yourself a treat, then renew yourself and let your principles be brief and fundamental. As soon as you shall, let them be sufficient to cleanse the soul completely, send you back free from all discontent, the things to which you return. With that, you are discontent. With the badness of a man, you call your mind to this conclusion. So when you go through those moments in life, for me, I look at it as you look at life in those moments. I'll just be a very, I'll just give something tangible. Everyone's like, oh, you climb these mountains, you surf these waves. How did you get there? I built a house and foundation internally and within myself. So when I meditate, I go internally to ask myself questions. I will say this, there's a pool, there's a reflection of who I am in that moment. What am I seeing? I don't try to sugarcoat what I see in myself or what I am, what I am not. 
I try to say, this is who you are in this moment. What do you choose to be? Make amends with that. And if you can't, then you must ask yourself to change into a manner that can. And if you don't, then you must take those consequences as you so see fit to move forward. That to me is relevant in the sports we do, action sports wise. Because as we're climbing mountains and we're pushing our limits, as we're scaling, as we're diving below depths, chasing waves, cruising down mountains, achieving our own personal greatness, you have to go inside to find out what that greatness means to you. Because at some point, as the first past just said, we will become old, we will become frail, we will disappear. And so this book is relevant, showing you how do you transition through those moments in life, knowing that you're accomplishing something to you, but in soon to be that it may not really matter to the outside world. And that is where I find it to be very true um, collectively to that. And um, for me, that that is where I know this book is hard, like loving to me because you have so many moments in life that you're so unsure about. I didn't know if I was going to, you know, climb Kilimanjaro in the amount I was at the time I was going to do. I didn't know if I was getting up Aconcagua. I can, I can tell you the day I woke up to climb Aconcagua, it was a very hard day. I almost didn't make it. It was so painfully hard because of like, I was out of protein. My body was pretty beat down and I got to the top and I just meditated at the top. My body, I just went internally into myself. And those are the moments I think about when I train now for about 20 hours a week and I go through my routine is how do you find tranquility within yourself so that when you walk through life and you transition, you can be in a moment of stillness that you can see the reflection of who you and what you are and come back to you on that. This book gives people that, again, what Marcus Aurelius may have been attending um, to some degree to guide, but not say this is prescribed to what you should be. One of the things that the Stoics in general are really, really good on this point, and Aurelius is himself for sure, but and we've already touched on it, but just sort of this idea that fame does not matter and the pursuit of fame is just so misguided. And again, pretty interesting that there's sort of reminder after reminder in the meditations about that, because again, we're probably talking about literally the most famous person on planet Earth at the time. So this isn't this isn't the aspiring actor who just made it to Hollywood and is hoping to be a big star someday. This is actually literally the richest and most powerful and probably most famous person on the planet. And we just get in the meditations reminder after reminder of like fame is fleeting and irrelevant. And so I think that's a really important one for anybody because there might be very good reasons to go do all kinds of things. And certainly if we are involved in a particular athletic endeavor or whatever, Sometimes fame can be a byproduct of those things, but it's, I think the meditations help us to like not get it twisted. Like it's cool to have big goals and go try to do audacious things, but be real careful before you start pursuing certain objectives in the interest of like, I'm going to be famous someday. Right? Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I think, and I'll just say this on this podcast, 
when I started talking about my life story and such and showing how I articulated it, people did inquire about that. They're like, Hey, are you doing this to be famous? I was like, honestly, and I say this very candid, I say this very bluntly now is that there is no such thing as fame. Like, okay. The fame that you think of that you get and you love comes as fast as a shooting star and it's gone just like that. And I think, and I think this in the moment that I do become air, air quotes for everyone can see it, air quotes in the moment that one does become famous. I truly believe in this. The 15 minutes of fame you get, I will give two to the person coming up next to me because they will need as much time as possible to get it. So if you think in the sense that you will take fame or you are doing something for fame, think of it in that as that it shouldn't, it shouldn't be about that because those that are famous, like we talked earlier, immortality is given upon how you can give back in a art that is then compounded over time that is genuine and not is washed down with, let's say, pushing other people to be something that they're not, making others feel, you know, dehumanized. Every philosopher, every person that you can think of mostly is doing this because these are their way they live life and they take it like this is, I just did it to, to do it. I didn't do it for anything else out of that. But that, that's a lot of internal discussions one must have with themselves to see that, again, if you are still in your mind, if you are tranquil, you're able to look and see yourself like, are you really doing this because you love to do it? Or are you doing this to find validation from a society around you? If you are doing it to find a validation from a society around you, just know that society is changing as fast as your thoughts are. So they may not love you by the time you get to where you're going. And if you're doing it for that reason, you are going to fall and it's going to hurt because what's inside of you will then be shattered. And you're like, what am I? Who am I? And that is a very hard discussion to have because you'll then see that everyone that is famous does, does not cheat death. They all go through it. They all were like, well, how do I live on by your words of truth? And if you have that, then it's carried on and people really resonate with it. But if it's not, it's, it flows off like again into the wind, into a different season. Very well said. Another thing I'd love to just touch on here, because Aurelius is so good on this as well. And you spoke to this before we started recording. Marcus is really good at helping us deal with criticism. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like how he views that in the meditations? And I'd love to hear you, if you don't mind, share a little bit. You you mentioned to me, you said, you know, sometimes if I'm about to go do a project like Denali or something, you're, you said like, I'll get some negative comments, negative feedback. Talk a little bit about how the meditations help you in that respect. So for me, meditations helps me see that if you are like, again, we'll call back to this since being open up about what I see in the outdoor space, what I climb for, what I speak out against, not everyone loves that. And dealing with that frustration of others is sometimes it is, it is, can be taxing on the mind. It can make you look at yourself and be like, am I doing the right thing? Do I question myself? And this goes back to what we just said is, your reflection internally of yourself is going to reflect outwardly. So if you have to, you really have to be sound of who and what you are and why you're doing it. And if someone calls you on that and says it, then you, you shouldn't be shattered. You'd be like, that is true. And it goes up here. What again, book eight, whatever man you meet would immediately say to yourself, what opinion has this man about good and bad? 
For if with respect to pleasure and pain and the causes of each, and with respect to fame and agony, death and life, he has such, an, has such and such opinions. It will seem nothing wonderful or strange to me if he does such and such things, and I shall bear in mind that he is compiled to do so. So what I mean by that is people can have their opinions as they so wish, and they can go and say what they need to. That shouldn't break your foundation internally of yourself. You should let them be who they are, speak to their truth of that if they so want to, truth internally to them. That does not mean it's going to compile you. So for me, when I hear someone say, hey, Andrew, I don't like you know, the way you climb or you know the way you're surfing, right? you should train differently, I respond with, I appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate your wisdom and words that you provided to me. Uh, I cannot... Like sadly, that is something that doesn't align with me. But I do, I do respect for you speaking out on those moments from your point of view. And I've gotten that in my DMs from people with person podcasts as well. And I just tell them the truth and I say in peace. And it, it throws people off a little bit. They're like, "You're not upset by this?" I'm like, "No." And the reason why is because that is what you see. That is not me because you're not entitled inside of me seeing my reflection. So it comes off to you as such. So that is how I deal with it with meditations is let that person be in the nature and the truth that they so feel, but let you be true to yourself at the same time. If you so dilute, again, back to like I said, if you so dilute yourself to be malleable, to fit their needs, so be accepted by them, and it's not true to you, when they do change your mind, you will be left wondering, how do I fill that space? And that is where I look at meditations as saying, let them speak in their opinion. They have on death, life, and everything, and I have mine. But I do know my truth and how I want to walk through this life and progress through it all. This is evidence that you're a <laughs> more evolved and more gracious person than I am. Because, I mean, because you, you kind of took in an extra step there. And Aurelius does the same. It's at times a kind of generosity or graciousness, like thank you for sharing but another thing in that passage you just read, I mean, Aurelius is saying, and this is only more relevant today than when he wrote that in like roughly 170 AD, because now we have social media where half the time or more than half the time, it's basically anonymous strangers who can come with criticisms or comments. And it's like, okay, I have no, I literally no idea who you are who's who's coming with with a point of criticism and Aurelius's point and the Stoics in general are just so good on this it's like wait a second are you such a weak person you Andrew or you Jonathan are, are you guys so weak that an anonymous entity can sling some criticism and that just spins you out how weak and how uncentered is that it is it's hard i would say it is hard when you're called derogatory names um your principles are on display to be thrown at and it goes back to what you said if i was doing this for the fame and such then yeah then i would be shattered because that's not true to me and my house would just fall but when that happens i just say funny thing is when we're talking about social media and dms actually i do this weekly i do D, what's it called? Questions from the dark DM from my DM. <laughs> I actually just post answers that a lot of people ask me in my DMs. Um, and just publicly just go hear the answers. And uh, it's interesting because I say the same thing. It's versus them letting them, you know, 
silence me. I'm like, okay, I'll just publicly give you the answer that everyone's asking for. And there you go. And so it's interesting to me that uh, a lot of athletes, celebrities do have a tough time with that because as you do rise, you, it's like the sun, as the sun rises, it gets harsher and it's brighter and people are like, I don't want the sun. It's too hot. But like you, but you want the sun, you look at it, it's growing, it's growing things around you. Um, you may not appreciate for what it is because you're used to seeing it, but and you start to have opinions about it. And I'm not saying everyone is a son in that matter. Just make sure that's not out of context. It's if you can appreciate someone for what they are versus trying to mold them in what you want them to be so you can digest them, you're able to live a, such a more fulfilled life, I believe, because you're able to now see people for what their truth is. And that you may not like that truth. You may feel it's, you know, sad or painful, but they're able to still walk through life and be pretty um, happy with you. So um, for me, when it comes down to that, I am always going to say in peace, which a lot of people now have asked that question, like, why do you end every post with in peace? And I say it because I want to live life in peace and not in pieces. Where do you want to take us next with this book? Is there a specific passage or a specific theme that you want to touch on i'll talk about this so for me uh let's do let's do two passages and i think this is great book eight passage 20 nature had regarded in everything no less to the end to the beginning and to the continuance just like the man who threw up a ball what good is it then for the ball to be thrown up or harm for it to come down or even to have fallen and what good is it to the ball while it holds together or what harm when it hurt, it, it's, it is burst. The same may be said of light also. That passage right there, if you read it, is something starts and ends. What we've been discussing, the theme of we've been saying so far, our lives start and end. We don't know when they end, and it gives everyone anxiety sometimes about such. But what I interpret here is it already began when it ends and ends. So what good is it to talk and discuss what, what that end will be versus saying, how about you just move through that moment as such when he describes a ball as, as it's in motion, it's going and understanding that as it's going, you take it in as what it is and not try to be like, well, when this ball hits the ground, it's going to hurt something or when it bursts, it's going to be this, that takes you away from the present. And one of his passages that I won't read about, but I wish other readers hearing this to read about is if you were to remove yourself from the present you're actually removing yourself from living. And what I mean by that is this. Now in this moment with John on this podcast, whoever is listening, we're already in the past. It's already over. So we're in the future and it, it moves continuous and continuous and continuous. If I distract, I mean, dis disengage myself from this moment to go someplace else, rather than being present, I'm losing time that I'll never get back. And I've started to put expectations on this moment and mentally thinking about that versus being centered and thinking about John and this conversation and what we're trying to say, I'm losing moments and I'm not going to get them back. So really being intentional about your time as you're in motion really gets you a place when it does, that ball does come back down, which is the end of that motion from beginning of throwing it up to now coming back to your hand that you can now experience every moment as it transitions. And so that, that's a good passage for me. And I would say my other one, I, oh, this is book, book 10. Everyone hearing this is my favorite, by the way. <sighs> okay. Two, number 10. 
book 10, passage 7, the parts of the whole, everything I mean, which is naturally compounded in the universe, must of necessity perish. Let this be understood in the sense that they must undergo change. But if this is were naturally both an evil and a necessity for the parts, the whole would not continue to exist in a good condition. The parts being subject to change and constitutes as so to perish in the various ways. For whether nature self-designed to do evil to the things which are parts of herself and to make them subject to evil of necessity to fall into evil, or whether she had such results happen without her knowing. In both with suppositions indeed are incredible. But if a man should even drop the term nature as an efficient power and should speak of these things as natural, even then it would be ridiculous to affirm at the same time that the parts of a whole are in the nature subject to change. At the same time to be surprised or vexed as if something were happening contrary to nature. Probably dissolution of things is into those things of which each thing is composed. For there is neither a dispersion of elements out of which everything has been compounded or of a change in solid. That one's a very interesting one for people, you know. (laughs) So for me, this is my interpretation of this is nothing in this world that we do isn't conformed together. And so nature is not moving. And I said this to you on your last podcast. I go to nature because she's not looking at me as Andrew Alexander from Detroit, the black man that found peace in Hawaii. I'm going to send every tidal wave and avalanche her way. She was not regarded. Mother Nature was not built to do that. She does things as in this is what I am here for. This is what I built it to do. It's everything is connected. And so are you. A man as which I am or a human, human, human being as regarded as Mark is saying here. To tell yourself that you are anything other than that does not exclude you from what nature will give to you. And so when you are thinking about the parts that make everything together and they go through and what it's composed of, you are within that. So the moment you are able to realize that and be at peace with it is the moment you are able to flow with nature versus against it and know that you are one within the universe of things around you. How you take that is up to you, but that is my interpretation. Well, Andrew, I think I should probably let you get back to your day. But as we sort of wrap up this conversation on the meditations, let's bring this a bit to a close. I mean, what really my primary hope is that I I hope that some people who, as I've said, who haven't checked out this work or maybe saw it a while back and it didn't totally connect with them, mostly I would just be really happy if we got some people to go back and, and, and take a look at this. So as we wrap this, I don't know, any kind of parting thoughts? I would say meditations is for guidance. It's not biblical. It's the way that you take it. So how I read it is up to you. But I do challenge people to at least go through the first book or two within the book itself and see what you think of it. I would love to come back and hear other people's thoughts and you know doing other books within the book, and we can discuss that. Meditations has guided me not only through times of finding sobriety, but also times on a mountain where I thought there was no light at the end of the tunnel. It was in myself. Meditations has gotten me through diving into depths beyond what I ever thought to get to past 70 feet underwater um, in the surf waves I do. So it's different for everyone. So I would challenge you to at least look at the book and let's see where we go from there. But always in peace, no matter what. Well, we 
we're talking at the beginning of this conversation about the meditations, about, you know, fame, which is such an important topic for the Stoics. And, you know, we, we already talked in this conversation about that should not be the driving force or aim of any of our actions or activities in life, right? Don't worry about that one. And one of the things that I think is really cool, taking us back to our last podcast conversation, you told a really moving story. It's kind of a, a vision of yours where with the work that you're doing, with the, with the Between Worlds project, you told this story about, you know, some years down the line, about being on a beach, you know, meeting, I think it was a young girl. And you asked, like, what is she up to? What are you doing? And she said, well, you know, I've uh, come up through this program called Between Worlds. And it's, you know, given me these opportunities. And you said, I would just kind of smile and walk away. And I was like, man, okay, here's a guy who has read his Marcus Aurelius, right? It's, it's about doing meaningful work that puts our own lives in a good position, hopefully betters the lives of other people. But in that story you told, you didn't tell the little girl like, well, by the way, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that created, there was no mention of that. And I was like, this guy, this guy's practicing what he preaches here. And that's, that's why, you know, how can I put this in words? And I'm glad you remember that because it's very interesting where people really take a step back and look at it as, I evolved into, I evolved into this as a human being. I evolved into what you see now. And I'll evolve into something else as the day goes forward. And I think that's where it's, it's, you know, something that's different. And I think people really find that to be interesting right now. It's like, how did you get there? I was like, I wasn't born this way at all. You know, I really just learned from fragments of Marcus fragments from my mentors. And I just found the like, my life to me is a kaleidoscope of all those beautiful pieces put together of what I've learned from people from Churchill, Gandhi, Teresa, my mentors that I talked about in the first podcast. Um, am I anything like them? They're on a different level for sure. Do I learn from them and they're like, am I wisdom of it? Yes, I can. Um, but I think that's where I look at it as, it's it's definitely something that I, I think about. It, it, I shouldn't be doing this to be famous. And I knew that right off the gate because when you when people looked at it six years ago, I was, again, the guy in Taiwan sitting in a coffee place talking to a woman. It's a true story. I was a guy being a gardener in Morocco at a woman's refuge. Same guy that went to, after Kilimanjaro, being dead tired, took a took a took down the road to a children's orphanage to learn about how they became addicted to drugs and alcohol at an early age. Um, so I don't think of it as me growing into to be for fame or anything. I really hope that 
one again people come by me now at the climbing gym and they're like don't even know they're like hey you're the like you're the guy from black diamond and i'll just say yeah and they go wow it's you want to climb with me and i'm like of course why wouldn't i want to climb with you i want to learn with you everything else to that or the fame it dries off and all you're left with is just the human skin that you have for a few more years of your life so why would i want to put something on me that i know will just dry off and i'll be left with that so everything else i think in my job to what i've evolved to is be human while you can because the next time around you may not get to be it well hey man on that note this has been real fun i appreciate you i appreciate your friendship i appreciate you uh being willing to talk to me about old books and uh man i'm i'm wishing you all the best as you go attempt uh your next objective there on Denali. No worries, my friend. I think um, I appreciate you. I'm glad you're healthy. I'm glad you're still here with us. And I'm, I'm not going to make you laugh anymore, but I'm not going to do any of that anymore. But um, I hope to have more conversations like this. It's always a pleasure speaking with you, John. And I would say anyone, as you're evolving through life, enjoy every moment of it. Find your truth that makes you happy. If it's screaming the F-bomb when you stub your toe, do it. You know, it's just saying, God bless you when you stub your toe, do it. But just find your truth and be as human as you can. I used to say on this last note, I used to have these core values that I used to tell everyone. It's dream big, love hard, stay human. Words to live by. Andrew, take care. We'll talk to you real soon. All right. Love you guys. In peace. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to Andrew for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.